welcome to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome to the Built on Air podcast, season 11, episode 7. Good to be back with you this Tuesday morning. Myself and our regulars, Ali and Camille, are with us. And we have special guests with us, Charlie Melendez. Charlie, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you with us. We'll learn more about Charlie and his story and background later in the episode. So as always, the Built on Air podcast is an hour-long live show we do every Tuesday. And we always go through a couple different segments. I'll walk through what we're going to be doing today. We always begin with our round the bases, talking about what's going on in the Airtable communities keep you up to date on everything Airtable. Then we'll do a spotlight on our primary sponsor, Onto Air. Then we'll learn more about Charlie and his story as an expert in the Airtable world and what he's up to. And then Charlie's going to walk us through a base of his called Profit Grab. Then we'll talk quickly about our built-on air community and how you can join. And then finally, Camille is going to walk us through um, how to use fields, in particular formula fields and linked record fields to manage uh, unpaid balances and how to display those. So with that, we will kick off with our around the bases and talk about what's going on in the Airtable community. Um, Nothing, I didn't see any uh, product feature updates this week, so relatively quiet on the Airtable front, unless you guys know of anything announced. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, nothing announced, but, you know, the usual array of some people are having A-B testing and some people aren't, so there's no telling if that particular thing will be made available to everyone anytime soon or if they're going to, you know, drop implementation, so... That's yeah. right. That's right. Somebody took a screenshot of a feature that was there and then an hour or two later it was gone. <laughs> I hope it comes back because I really want it. <laughs> it's yeah. Definitely. So this is the um, filtering by linked records and being able to choose a particular linked record rather than typing in a value. Yeah. Um, we touched on this briefly in our last episode because I was talking about using a single select as a little hack to do that. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. 
I think Airtable has learned not to do those tests on Tuesday morning or else we'll uh, go live with it. I specifically said like the last time uh, a, a major one happened, I was like, maybe you should just do it on Thursday. So it's <laughs> after our show and after Chris Dancy and Ben Green's show on yeah. Wednesday, just so that no one <laughs> can, you know, publicize something a little too early. Um, yeah. But this, this has been sort of, you know, the screenshots happened about a week ago. So it wasn't like it was this morning. Um, yeah. I believe it was uh, Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the, the implications of that is like right now, when you filter by linked record, if you change the name of that linked record, then that messes up that filter. Whereas this one, I guess, will be at the, the source, like the record ID. So you can change the name and it will stick with that. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Um, and you guys probably discussed this on your last call, but the 50 record limit, I'm uh, sorry, 50 automations now from 25 to 50 yeah. is also insane. I remember when I first learned it was 25 was from Ben Green. He had it on one of his YouTube videos and I was like 25 limit. Cause I had never reached that much. And I was like, I'm never going to reach that. And I reach it for like almost all of my clients now. So I hated it. Like, cause you're having to calculate which ones do I want to use with make and Zapier and which ones do I want to keep an air table and, mm -hmm and doing all these like analysis. And now there's just like this freedom off the back, but I know that we'll be hitting that 50 limit pretty soon. Yeah, there, there are still some things, a lot of things that you can't really replace uh, uh, Make or Zapier with native Airtable automations just because they connect to so many other platforms. Right. Um, you could do a lot of simple stuff or anything that's uh, coding or hooking up to an API probably. Um, with the script action, but there's still some stuff that, you know, probably should remain in those other platforms, but expanding it to 50 uh, means some people are going to be able to simplify and some other people are probably going to stay loosely where they're at. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good segue. I'll, I'll skip to, to this thread that was in the Built-On Air community that uh, Hannah posted about um, your favorite feature from last month and has the screenshot of, of what came out last month. And a lot of people agree with Charlie about the uh, increase in the automation limit. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, other stuff people posted, yeah, automations. Oh, somebody said the, the closing of the forms to be able to, to give a message if you wanna shut down a form. Mm -hmm. That, was new. that is a good one. Uh, yeah, looks like those were the two favorite ones for the month. Mm -hmm. so I'm also a, a fan of the calendar, um, the calendar view and how you can choose the different fields like you can for the timeline. I think that's pretty huge. I know a ton of people that have been asking for that for a very long time. So that's exciting. I think yeah. the implement, the exact implementation was a little bit like yeah. it wasn't quite, <laughs> I love the idea. Um, I was one of the people that said calendar view should get what timeline view does. Um, and I appreciate that they're making, you know, those adjustments to it. It's if I were to hazard a guess, which has not been confirmed by anything at all. So don't quote me. If I were to hazard a guess, uh, the fact that they're adding that level of feature additions to the calendar view to me suggests that they're updating the underlying code that is the calendar view because it's one of the oldest views in the, um, platform, um, whereas timeline was the newest view in the platform and being able to have that parity. So it's 
um, good to see that it is having the, you know, attention put on it. Uh, Scott was saying that, you know, the actual implementation was disappointing because it's, it, again, it wasn't quite doing what I think some of us were expecting it to do. Like it didn't wrap the right way. And uh, if you had uh, an attachment field, the link would appear and that's, you know, that's most likely not what you would want. Um, but I, I like that they're focusing on it or having visible focus on it. It just, it needs a little bit more work to be, I think where it needs to be. Yeah. One, one new integration that I've seen in the past month, um, but it's, it's in beta, so it's probably AB tested across people, but it's the Twilio integration. And I love that because I typically use, have to use Zapier for Twilio or uh, make. And the only thing I don't like though, is that you can only put one phone number when you're sending a message. And usually I want to send messages to an array of phone numbers potentially. And Twilio only in the native app integration only allows one phone number. So kind of just throwing that out there if there's any ear table people listening to this, open that up. Okay. Yeah, very good. Cool, let's move on. Uh, another one will stay in the built on air community. Um, <clears throat> actually, yeah, this is a good one. Um, Rebecca, friend of the show, was a guest a couple seasons ago, um, just talking about how much she's been able to cut down on her workflow with automations. And, and two years ago, she says she had a, not a workflow that took a month, cut it down to five days, um, and now down to five hours. And then this year, it's now down to 15 minutes. Um, and so I think it's cool to just talk about the wins of using Airtable to, to reduce time to do things. Um, there's so many examples of things that would take forever um, that you can automate in Airtable. So shout out to Rebecca for that. <clears throat> yeah, it's a, I think it's a great story because um, Rebecca uses Airtable for her like job. And it's unlike us who, you know, we have consulting businesses or we're part of a consulting business where, you know, we are, it is explicitly our job to just use Airtable and be good at it. Um, Air, Rebecca's story uh, is a little bit different in that she found a tool to help with her regular job and became so good at it over time just by using it more and more and being able to, as she's saying, cut something down from one month to 15 minutes just by using the platform um, consistently over time. And I think that's, you know, a real strength of the product. There are a lot of other database or database-like pro uh, programs where you could have the same story where you use it for a couple years and you get something down from one month to five or 15 minutes, but the odds of you wanting to stay in that platform by yourself effectively for that long to get to that point is slim. Like if you, no one's going to stick around with my school by themselves if you're not a, a, a database person by nature is what I'm saying. Airtable Air is friendly enough that they'll have people who will stick with it long enough to get to a point where they can have a story like Rebecca's. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's countless others we love hearing those uh, success stories. So, all right, moving on. Um, we already did that one. Final one from the built on air community. Um, so Scott, this was actually brought up. I think Jan mentioned in the comments uh, last week about a video with Howie Lou. Uh, Airtable CEO, 
and he posted that and then Scott shared it again after watching it. And um, so first couple things in this thread, first is watch the video. I started to watch it, I haven't finished it. I'm gonna finish that, um, but it's good if you wanna see his insights on, on his vision for Airtable and where it's going. But the better thing about this thread is if you're interested at all in history of database design, this thread is for you. Um, Bill French and others jump in and give a long history. And if you're nostalgic for the early days of computing, lots of great nuggets of information in this thread talking about the early days of VisiCalc and Excel and the, and the history of the lookup field and naming conventions and things like that. So I don't know if you guys all dove into this thread. There's a lot of stuff here. I, I just wanted to say, like, I, I love watching how we lose interviews sometimes because the interviewer, you can tell, has never used Airtable. And they usually ask a question like, um, so, you know, what, what can you do? What makes you different from the other, you know, things? And, you know, what makes you stand out? Why, what makes you different? And you can tell, like, for me, I'm, like, wanting to yell at the stream. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's, it's amazing. But I can tell that he's kind of, like, catching us. He doesn't even know how to begin and he just kind of explains it as you know you can, we want to build apps and he says it in this like calm ceo manner but i just think it's funny because we know the use case we know how powerful it is like how fun it is so yeah, i just want to point that out yeah. no it's it is kind of crazy i've noticed i've watched a few interviews with him recently and generally speaking he does exactly that he's very calm and kind of takes a very calm approach to it it's it's interesting to try and hear him tr to hear him try to explain what it is like because we try and do that all the time and i feel like people don't usually get it until they actually have their own aha moment well, um, but that's the problem because air airtable is a generalist software so you know it my nature is to say oh well if you wanted to build your own crm you know you could you know set your stuff up like this but if the person i'm talking to doesn't need a crm then they need something else I've chosen the wrong example to explain them to because what they're hearing is, oh, it's a CRM platform that you can customize. It's not. It's a platform that you can customize to be something else. Um, and depending on what that something is, it might be a great solution or it might be like a really convoluted setup, you know, depending on where you go. Yeah. The best part here is towards the end, Bill talks about, you know, there will be a day our grandchildren or in 30 years will be like, there used to be this platform called Airtable that was amazing. And our grandkids will roll their eyes at us and we'll be the old ones in the room like Bill and Scott and Peter. Although I'm I'm probably closer to them than you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think about that actually kind of often. And um, this goes back to what Bill said recently about how we're kind of in the beginning of this massive wave that's coming for no code. He said a statistic like in the next five years, 60% of development is going to be in the no code realm. And it's very true. We're, we're seeing as consultants, all of these companies coming out of the woodworks, finding us and saying, we really want to use Airtable. Our competitor uses it, or we saw this other use case and we want to match that same thing and build it better. Um, it's amazing. And then I think to myself, like, okay, we might have five, 10 years of amazing opportunities as consultants to work with amazing companies, but what's going to be the next thing? And then I kind of think to myself, you know, spreadsheets went from Excel to Google Sheets, which kind of like revolutionized it. 
but relational databases, which is what Airtable is, there's nothing really above, at least to my knowledge, I'd love to be corrected on this, but above relational databases, like that's kind of the peak performance for applications. That's what everything is. Facebook is just a relational database. Wikipedia is just a relational database. So if Airtable really wins that relational database category, it might be a really, really long time, but it's definitely true. There's always going to be a moment where they say, I remember Airtable. So good call. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe AI would be the next generation on top of that, some form of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool stuff. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, great thread. Um, awesome insights, Bill, Scott, Peter Nelson, always also getting involved in that conversation and sharing their insights. So we'd love to, to see the Built On Air community, and um, it's been pretty active last couple of weeks. So jump in and participate there. Uh, moving on, there's only one um, thing that I that I thought worth bringing up from the Airtable community, and I always think this is a good reminder. Uh, somebody learning through maybe um, unfortunate circumstances that personal views are uh, not hidden from other users, and so this person saying, "What's going on here? I created all these personal views, but I can see theirs, and they can see mine." for other collaborators. And I didn't realize this, but they actually quoted um, from the documentations that it says personal views are also hidden from other collaborators views sidebar by default. And so Scott answers this basically saying that you can toggle that on and off. Um, so any thoughts on that? Something worth definitely if you're working with clients to make sure they're aware of I think it's sort of uh, one of the, the the top two, if I were to hazard a guess, the top two sort of aspects of Airtable that I think most people want improved upon are the record limits per base. I think we all just want more records. I'll leave that alone. And then the second one is, uh, you know, permissions just generally to hide uh, certain things throughout the product, whether that be views, whether that be whole tables. Um, there's a lot of things that you want to just sort of hide in uh, Airtable because of the way that it's delivered um, on the website or via apps, the whole base gets loaded at one time. So, you know, I, mechanically, they could go in and allow you the ability to hide certain things. I think they're, they might need to adjust how the base loads and to begin with to really truly hide something from somebody. Because if you're tech savvy, you could get in there, um, which might be their point. Maybe they don't want to give people a false sense of security, but some sense of security would be nice. Um, I think there should be a happy medium between a personal view and a collaborator, uh, collaborative view. Um, you know, just a, there's some views absolutely no one needs to look at except for Zapier. Right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I usually try and tell my clients like personal views are very superficial. Like the, the really only benefit that I see to them is the fact that you can toggle them to be hidden. But I mean, that doesn't mean that no one can find it. Yeah. Um, and also that no one else can adjust the can, like no one else can, can can't talk today. No one can configure your personal view other than you. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, someone can just duplicate it and then unhide whatever they want. So it's not really secure. Yeah, 
I think going to Camille's point, like about the permissions, as you were saying that one of the biggest ones that I see is the duplicate base thing. The fact that a read-only person can duplicate your base, duplicate all your automations, all your business data, like everything, put it into their own free plan, even if it's a pro plan base and just like have it there, to me is just insane. Like if there was a permission where I could limit read-only can't duplicate, editors can't duplicate, even creators can't, only the owner can, or creators can duplicate, like I think that's a pretty simple one, but that's to me is, a, is one of the big things when I'm talking to clients and I say, really be careful who you give access to the base to. Don't just give it around like candy, like be very careful because anybody can duplicate all of your systems, all of your business data immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And Scott agrees. Uh, I've, he also has a comment in there, Scott, um, friend of the show, he was on, I believe this season and previous seasons as well. Um, you know, the notion of having utility views and utility tables that you set up so that your system works, but you don't ever actually need to go in and look at. Um, uh, one of those common forms of utility tables is like having each collaborator in your table as a record in that as like a user's table, because uh, it allows you to do a whole lot of things like attach, you know, a particular role to a collaborator in a base. Um, I feel like that is a common enough thing where that should, there should just be <laughs> the concept of having a utility table might need to be fleshed out a little bit more as an actual feature of their table, whether instead of it being like a workaround, but there's a lot of things that go into how personally I would like to see, uh, utility views and personal views, et cetera, being improved upon. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. I have a lot of people like the use case that I think about is like when I'm handing off a project to a client and they might not be super familiar with their table or super comfortable with it yet. And they see all these tables off to the side that are like, you know, they're like, why do we have all of these tables? And one of them might just be a list of countries that they could pick from or something and that we want to have a finite list or more control over it. But I'm like, trust me, you just don't have to go there. Just ignore it. Like sometimes I'll put one table in the middle that's just like a pipe character as the name. Yep. So it's a divider. And I'll be like, anything on this side, worry about that. Anything on that yep. side, don't worry about it. Yep. So views got sections and then automations got sections. And my, my hope is that someday tables might get sections. So I could just dump. I probably only need two sections for any project that I do. Just the tables and then all the utility tables just get shoved yeah. off into the corner if i could do that I'd, I'd be happy with that it'd be nice if we get more but it also literally i just want to hide a bunch just put them away it'd also be nice for automations to have a search bar now that we have up to 50 and i see like when an error when i get an error message like this automation failed i have to like go through this massive list even if i have sections i'm like what section like what is this right. if there was a search there that also be really helpful and then one more little feature suggestion is record id as a field type i i think like almost every table that i use i'm always creating a formula with record id i mean i could create a formula with created time too but they made a created time field type it's just low-hanging fruit but i it just saved me much, so much time just to like click yeah. record id and that's it yeah. so anyway just i like that i think it would actually make it a lot more accessible for the everyday user too because mm -hmm. most people aren't they don't even realize that you can just type it as a formula and then or if they do, they're like, I don't even know what this is. It might right. prompt more people to do a little bit more reading into it. Yeah, yeah. that's a good yeah, point. For sure. 
Cool. Let's move on to another controversial topic of Airtable. This one cool. comes from the uh, Reddit community. Poses the question, do you think Airtable's pricing structure is, is a barrier to future growth? And this one got a lot of discussion. Um, I know we've had this topic in the past, but why not bring it up again? <laughs> sure. I, um, I mean, I, I, does anybody else want to take this? I have a lot to say on this. Um, I, I, I could give a brief <laughs> summary. So there's the issue with scale and Airtable is that Airtable's pricing structure is by collaborator. Um, you, they have different plans where each plan will give you like more limits for here's how many records you can have. Here's how many automations, here's how many sync integrations, etc. Um, if you have a small team, uh, but you need like 100,000 records, you'll probably be fine. If you have a large team and a small amount of records that you need, you're uh, screwed, essentially, because it's you're paying by person. And sometimes it doesn't really make sense to pay by person, um, especially if the, the people need to only interact with very few items. And so there's, there's a point where businesses that run off of Airtable often seek solutions that are like uh, external portals, whether that be Pori or Stacker or Softer or some other integration where that will handle user management and having multiple people in your base. It sort of reduces the reliance you have on having collaborators actually in Airtable. So you're circumventing that cost. There's a point there's like an event horizon where you, once you pass it, you're you're now needing a third party to do what you might have been able to do in Airtable had they addressed that particular issue. Go for it, Charlie. Yeah, I see it as an existential issue, honestly. And um, I attribute this to, to Chris Dancy, who's the first person to spark this go off in my brain. Um, like it's in our interest for Airtable to get their economic model right. I've even spoken to some people at Airtable about this because I think it's so important. Um, I think that if they fix the permission side of it, that also helps. Um, you know, but otherwise, I don't want any users in my Airtable bases, especially the more complex bases that I build for clients. My biggest selling point to them is like. Why, why have people in your base when they can duplicate, when they can do, when they can edit things that they shouldn't edit? It's overwhelming. Imagine having all these tables with all these views. You hire a new employee. You have to train them on. You go to this view. You go to this table. You go to this view. And then you can only edit these fields. <clears throat> it's really overwhelming for large businesses to actually use Airtable as the front end, as the interface layer. Um, that's like the main thing. But secondly, why are we paying at the user level? I don't. My whole theory is you should be... Um, your economic model should be based on your actual cost. Like, what is the cost of a base to Airtable? It's not adding a user. If I add one user to the base, that's not adding a load to Airtable in terms of, like, how much does it cost them for this base to actually function at the pennies and, and dollar level? It's really about how many records are there, how many complex fields that are, like, maybe date-based and time-based, how many automations are running, how many different automations I have available to run, how many apps I have open at, at one time, like these are all the kind of moving parts that actually affect the bottom line cost to Airtable of a base functioning. And that's what their model should be built more towards because if it's set to the user model, I'm gonna be very frank here, 
I have a couple clients where I have three users in the base, me and the two point contacts of that business. And then one client has 1,300 users using an external system, which I'm not going to name. Um, but they're using an external amazing front end that has roles and permissions. And it's, it's amazing how much has been accomplished in that uh, portal. Um, but they're paying Airtable $70 a month for this base. Um, and they're paying this other one, for, say $300, $400. They're paying Zapier and all these things. Their total stack is, you know, maybe $500 a month. And they would be paying, if Airtable if got them into their model, they'd be paying thousands and thousands of dollars per month. And it just doesn't make any sense. We don't want users in Airtable. And interfaces was kind of their first attempt to do this. And it's kind of not there yet. It's still in beta, but I think they need to get the economic model right. And it's in our interest that they actually do that because I want Airtable to survive. I want them to be extremely profitable. I want to pay for that base that has 1300 users using it all day. I want to pay for that base based on how much it's being used and convince my clients that it's worth to pay Airtable $300 a month for this base or a thousand dollars a month for this base based on how complex it is. So yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, this topic could go on forever. Ali, any final thoughts? Um, I mean, I think um, I noticed Scott in the comments wrote um, that many extensions doesn't charge per head. I mean, that's that's like probably where I usually go to. I mean, apps like Stacker are, I think, have a better look and feel. Software, of course, has a very nice look and feel. But many extensions, I love the simplicity of being able to just have a form to edit the existing records and you can hook that up to a portal. I mean, outward simplicity, it's not the easiest app to learn how to use, but I find it the most powerful. And that's generally my workaround for um, not having to pay for so many users. Jen is recommending Pori for uh, display purposes, not necessarily edit purposes. And they all, as you know, I'm sure you've gathered every single one of these platforms is really good at one particular thing or one set of things. And, you know, Airtable, of course, is really good at being the back end for all of those things. It would be very nice if eventually interfaces was grew into something I could take on some of what um, we have to rely on portals to do. Um, and Charlie, as you said, a good portion of that has to do with permissions because you still have to be a collaborator in the base. So yeah. you could separate out those permissions uh, in some way or work out a different pricing structure for the base versus the interface that connects to it. I think that would help. But in the interim, it is there's there is a point where it doesn't make sense to have your collaborators in Airtable anymore. Yeah. All right, let's move on. That we we could spend hours talking about this, but um, definitely room for improvement on on Airtable side, and hopefully they're thinking about it. <clears throat> one more one more final one from Twitter, and then we'll move on. I want to definitely hear uh, Charlie's story, but um, I thought this was cool. I think we we've talked about uh, Mike Cardona a couple times. He actually tweeted about us talking about him on the podcast, so. We're going to give him another uh, shout out. Um, I, I just thought this was cool. Somebody who has a decent sized following, I don't know who it is, Arvid Call, um, said, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to build a newsletter. Any ideas? What would you use? I'm currently using Calendly and it's not working. Um, and Mike reached out and said, hey, I'll build it for you for free in Airtable. 
Um, I wanted to do something kind of along these lines and it looks like you might get the gig. Obviously free is hard to uh, argue with. Um, but anyways, if you see somebody post, if you're looking to get into consulting and you see somebody with a decent sized following and they post like looking for ways to solve a problem, go ahead and, and say you'll build it for them for free in Airtable and a and, uh, good way to get some free publicity. I assume if he does well, this guy will, will give him a shout out to his following. <clears throat> So good stuff. So that wraps up our uh, round the bases and what's going on in the Airtable communities. Um, for our Ontair Spotlight, Ontair is a primary sponsor. It's an all-in-one toolkit to run your business on Airtable. It's a suite of apps that do a variety of different things. One of the things that it does is it integrates with Google, Google Docs, Google Sheets, and Google Slides as part of our Ontair Actions um, app or product. And um, I just wanted to read a email that we got over the weekend from one of our customers, Andrew. He just says, I wanted to emphasize how wonderfully helpful I found Ontario Actions. I so wish I found it sooner. Can I tell you how advantageous it has been to my work? Uh, There's some things I'm using it for. And he lists out four different use cases to produce schedules as a PDF group by dates. I love the conditional formatting. That alone is invaluable. Um, trucking schedules, group by truck members, and product object info sheets. Um, I won't go through all of them, but he, he uses both our Google Docs integration and our Google Sheets. I don't think he's using Google Slides, um, but now he's building a budget base, uh, syncing his data from Airtable into a Google Sheets that uh, he's been trying to get to his finance director and now can automate that entire process. So each of them are invaluable to me and my business. So cool shout out from Andrew. Appreciate the the love and support. He's been great to work with. And um, we've added some features that we named after him because he he suggested the idea. So if that's of interest, um, check it out in Ontair, ontair.com. So our Google integrations right now are a little bit hard to find. We're going to work on making those more prominent, but right now they're, they're inside of our Ontario Actions app and um, allow you to use Google Docs as your template engine to, to generate and automate document creation. With that, now we're gonna learn more about Charlie and we're gonna have Ali uh, talk to him and we can learn more. Excellent, awesome. Well, thank you again, Charlie, for joining us. Thanks. Nice to be here. I'm a big fan of the show and yeah, looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah. we're Well, I, I'm pretty sure you and I have pretty similar backstories when it comes to Airtable. I know we both were doing some stuff with it for our family businesses. Also have trucks in common that along with Rebecca, I believe, um, and Dan's customer. So <laughs> trucks are everywhere. <laughs> um, and it was a, a party business. Is that correct? Yeah, event rentals. So here in Miami, we do the events like tables, chairs, tents, cooking equipment for the Super Bowl when it comes to town and yeah, all sorts of stuff like that. That's super cool. So I I know you were the one that actually introduced me to mini extensions years ago, which yeah. I consider you the mini extensions king for sure. Um, 
And I think, was that really kind of like, was that your turning point for with Airtable or did you, did you have the bug before that? So my dad one day came to my office in the middle of COVID. I actually also blame COVID for this because otherwise I would have been too busy with my day-to-day -day job to ever even go down this rabbit hole. And my dad came to my office and said, I want you to build a database for our tenting department. And I was like, a database? Why not just a spreadsheet? Like, you know, all he wanted was someone to be able to search a tent and see what bag it goes into, the color and everything. And I'm like, oh, you could just do a, a spreadsheet and do control F and it'll find it. And he's like, no, no, it has to be a database where someone enters it and then they click search and it pulls it up. And my brain was just flexing in ways that had never flexed before. And I'm like, what? what is a database? And I looked into like FileMaker Pro, Smartsheets, and I got all these like, high-level salespeople trying to get me to pay thousands of dollars, and they couldn't even give me an example of it working. And one day I reached out to a friend of mine, Austin Bunsen. Shout out Austin. He's an amazing um, developer and startup founder at Y Combinator right now. Um, and he said, you should probably use Airtable. And I imported my FileMaker Pro spreadsheet into Airtable, and the, like, the light bulb just went off, and it was magic. And I had all of these... Um, these processes, these uh, ideas, these concepts from the business. So, you know, our business had really good software, like really good expensive software, but in a big operation, you have all these middle operations that don't get addressed by that big software. And you have all these ideas because you're in the operation. And so you're like, wouldn't it be amazing if we had this process or this app, that's how you would say it five years ago, that would do this. When I input this, this would happen. So I had all these ideas and the first one that hit me was the truck inspection app. Um, if you want to share that, Dan. Yeah. So I had this idea of why not, you know, our trucks were coming back with damage to the trucks, you know, almost every other week. And I had no clue who was doing the damage because by the time you find the damage, you know, the drivers aren't telling you. I hit a tree, you know, when it rains, the trees get lower and you're going through a street in a nice neighborhood and boom, it hits the, the top of the thing and that costs a thousand dollars to fix. So I said, okay, let me, let me build a form with a QR code. So you'll see that each of my trucks has this QR code on it that right there, if you can see it, the zoom's not working so well. So when the driver just walks up to the truck, scans it with a smartphone, they don't need an app on their phone, right? I don't want to have to maintain apps. They scan that QR code and it pulls up this form. It's a basic Airtable form. And it already pre-fills that truck. They indicate who they are. They indicate, yes, I have the license registration. Is the cabin clean? If they put no, it makes them take a picture. You know, the tire's in good condition. So this is basically like an FDOT uh, form for trucks. And if there was damage to the truck, then we get a notification on the back end um, immediately. Or if the cabin's not clean or anything like that, we get notifications. Um, which has become invaluable because we're getting notifications as soon as there's damage and I can immediately go to the history of that truck and say, okay, on this day, you know, was there damage on this day? No, there wasn't damage. Was there damage on this day? Yes, there's damage. Okay. Who was driving the truck the day before? And like, we're able to pinpoint who's the person who's responsible. Um, so like this was the first app and I haven't touched this base for two years. I built this two years ago. It's still working flawlessly. That's the other beautiful thing about Airtable. It's, it's not like you have to maintain these systems that you build. If you do it right, like you can do something. This maybe took me a, a day or two, right? To come up with the right form, to print out the QR codes. Like I haven't had to change anything. So that's another like really amazing thing about Airtable. And this base has become 
so invaluable. We also do load inspection. So every time a truck is loaded or unloaded, if anything fell in the truck, we get notified. The driver didn't strap it correctly before. That'd be like a buddy system where people wouldn't really tell on each other. But the really cool thing here, and this goes to Rebecca's point, is about saving time. My, um, we have about 150 employees. And of those employees, about 80 of them have different schedules every day. And they can have to show up at four in the morning or at seven in the morning. And it was a really big nightmare. Um, how do we tell them what you're scheduled for tomorrow? And so we've been around for 30 plus years at this point. And we've always used this system using a voicemail. So my dispatcher would set up the schedules and then he would use a phone, a cell phone and record a voicemail saying, you know, John four in the morning, Albert four in the morning, Rogelio 415. And he'd go through this list of 80 people. And there's only like a minute and a half that you can use in a voicemail. So you'd have to like rush through it if it was a long list. And if he messed up, you'd have to redo it. And then you can imagine the employees they'd have to call every night and wait the whole list to listen to their name, paying attention. And if they don't hear their name, maybe they're like, am I off the clock tomorrow or do I have to call again? So it, it was just this system that worked, right? But it also took like an hour, hour and a half to do the schedule, to put it onto this paper, then translate to another paper to then record this voicemail. So it was like an hour and a half that it took this process. Well, one day, I showed up and the trucks were late. They hadn't left yet. And I asked the loadmaster, like, what's what's the holdup? Why haven't the trucks left? And he said, because David didn't show up on time. He should have showed up at six in the morning and he showed up at eight. So I walk over to David and David, I say to David, like, why didn't you show up at six? You should have shown up at six. He's like, I always show up at eight. I never have to show up at six. So I'd never call into the phone number because I always show up at eight. And it hit me in that moment. Like, I need to build a system that notifies David what his time is and not the other way around where he can give me that type of excuse and be right actually. So I went immediately to the dispatcher. I said, show me when you schedule it, what does the output look in a CSV? I got that output and <clears throat> I created this simple view where all they're doing is pasting right now. It's obviously blank because they'd be pasting for tomorrow, but they're simply pasting the schedule that they have on this other system into Airtable. And it sends text messages to everybody. So, Hey, Alexander, you're scheduled tomorrow. Tuesday, June 14th at 8 a.m. And it says it in Spanish too, too. So it's text messages, English and Spanish. So now there's no excuse. Every single day, my employees get a text message saying you're like, this is your schedule. Or it says like, you're not scheduled. It's very clear. Hey, Robert, you're not scheduled for June 14th. And I mean, to this point, we've sent out 23,000 text messages in the past like year and a half. So this is another system that I set up. It took me maybe an hour to set up and I haven't had to touch and it's saved an hour and a half per day because to do this maybe takes 10 minutes to do the schedule and just simply paste the CSV. Um, so this is another like really interesting example. Then I got to the point where I had to build some more complicated systems and that's when I found mini extensions alley. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you usually hold off on paying for these add-on solutions until you have a really good use case. And I had one and it just blew my mind how powerful it was. And then yeah, I remember that conversation when I showed it to you and the people over at Gap Consulting. And yeah, it is it is that powerful. And I can show you one other use case for mini extensions because that's kind of what brought me to Airtable. But like seven years ago, I started a product uh, in the parking ticket world. So, you know, you get a parking ticket on your car. You show up, the parking ticket's there. You have to take it into your car. You have to look at it with guilt and you have to like think about what could have been. And then you put it on the side of your car 
And you can't pay for it immediately because it's not in the database yet. So you have to wait like 24 to 48 hours for it to even enter the database. So you have this period of guilt that then turns into neglect because you kind of like just leave it there and you're like, I'm not going to pay for it. I still have 20 days, right? And then 35 days go by and you go and you look and you're like, oh my God, I forgot to pay that parking ticket. And now it's gone from 36 to $72. So a friend of mine and I came up with the idea why don't we build a, an app that scrapes to the city database and automatically pays that parking ticket for you and just simply notifies you. So literally you can walk up to your car, grab the parking ticket and throw it away. And you'll get an email two days later with a receipt from the city saying, you know, you just pay this parking ticket. That's it. So we built it. We got like a hundred, 200 of our friends and family to sign up. And one day I was walking past a dealership and this is one of the biggest dealerships in Miami. And I'm like, they have loaner fleets and loaner fleets have the ethical dilemma of, you know, I'm borrowing this car. I'm getting a parking ticket. I don't care. Right. It's not going to affect me. So I walked in and I went to the loaner fleet manager and I said, do you guys have an issue with parking tickets? And he's like, uh, yeah, why? And I'm like, well, I have this system that can notify you whenever a parking ticket is issued, like within 24 hours. And his, his jaw dropped, his eyes just opened. He's like, wait, really? Are you happy you built that? I'm like, yeah, it, it exists. And he said, okay, and he took me to his finance manager. We resolved the price point. And he, they ended up giving me their list of 750 vehicles. I took that and I went to every other dealership in Miami. And because that was the biggest dealership, they all that was like the name recognition I needed. And they all had the same problem. I was able to get like three and a half thousand vehicles of loaner fleets. And then I started like going after rental cars, right? And I had to build this with a developer, the same developer who I get a shout out to earlier, actually, Austin Bunsen. Um, and he built an amazing system. Um, recently, though, I want, now that I've gotten pretty good at Airtable, I wanted to see if I can replicate this in Airtable. So rather than being a code-based platform, can I replicate this system in Airtable? So I used a scraping no-code solution to scrape the city database with my CSV list. And I have... Uh, this base here that um, basically my users have these has a portal. So this is a mini extensions portal, an example of what you can do with mini extensions where a user goes and it's very simple. All they have is my vehicles and my violations and they can add vehicles. So if they add new vehicles to their fleet. They are able to you know, put in some information and now they're adding to their vehicle list fleet. Um, and they can go at any point and see their overall breakdown of vehicles and how much is due or their violations because the city doesn't give you this portal access, this portal view as across my whole fleet of 700 vehicles. And look at how many vehicles are referred to collection. Like there's so many reasons why this is such a good idea, but there's cars. This is a lot of money in terms of late fees. It affects their credit. And if you get five tickets, the car gets towed. So like imagine these people using a loaner vehicle that gets towed while they're using it or a rental car. So anyways, this is an example of how you can build that in Airtable and on top of it with mini extensions. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that's I got it. Very, very cool. Yeah. yeah, you're just chock full of more and more use cases every time I talk to you. That's just really, that that is such a good use case and a good story. Um, I would clarify for folks who are unfamiliar, we are currently looking at a mini extensions portal just so that they're aware. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also just a good sort of look at, we were talking earlier about, or me, I was talking earlier about the event horizon and 
imagining, I don't know how many different dealerships that you have in there, but you certainly don't want to give, you know, Toyota a look at Chevy's trucks. That would be, you know, it would seem like a recipe for disaster. And so it's sort of a use case like this necessitates uh, using an external portal and it just makes it seems so easy just to look at what is you only want to look at my stuff or specifically this car or specifically this violation yeah so you have that search functionality up here and i do off of your point camille like yeah this is a perfect example of you don't want toyota and them in your Airtable base like think about how crazy and messed up of a world it have to be in if i actually made them users which is what Airtable technically wants me to do right if if i'm a Airtable developer um but there's also options, right? So I could have gone fancy and made a stacker portal, or I could have gone fancy and made a softer portal, but it's really just about utility. My customers don't need fancy. They want straightforward simplicity. It's usually a clerk who's even looking at this, not the you know fancy finance person who gave me the contract. It's usually someone else who just needs very clear, I'm going to this website, it's taking me in automatically. They don't have to have even login functionality. It's in the URL. And they're simply just typing in a thing. They're again, they're able to add stuff. They're getting notifications every day via text message and email when they get new you know, violations. So, yeah, yeah, super, super cool. Bravo! Thank you. Yeah, looking forward to learning more about Profit Grab in a few minutes. Awesome. Yeah, Charlie, appreciate, love uh, hearing your story and how you've progressed. Um, and now you've got uh, a product out there and built on Airtable, and you're going to walk us through that. So we'll move on to our uh, base showcase on Profit Grab. Share your screen. There you go. Yeah. So similar to the other uh, impetus for what led to the other, me even finding out Airtable. I have to credit my dad. So my dad one day came to me and said, um, can you build me something? He was trading in cryptocurrencies and in stocks. Can you build Can you build me something that when my cryptocurrency goes down 5%, I just get a text message saying, hey, you got to go buy this cryptocurrency. Um, and it even calculates the value and everything. And I love when people come to me with, uh, hey, can you build this in your table? I, I mean, it's just it's the happiest moment of the day when people do that because it's like, extremely rare. They almost never can you do you say no to that because um, everything's pretty much possible. Um, so like within an hour, hour and a half, I had set up, you know, I was pulling cryptocurrency prices. I had set up the schema to work functionally um, and I was sending notifications to him. The notifications kind of look like this. So these are the text messages that go out. So it would say something like, hey there, you know, this is a buy notice for this, you know, currency this is the price that you originally purchased at. Right now, in this case, it's 17% down. Um, you've used $5,000 out of your $10,000 budget. You know, there's a 56% variance between your top purchase and what it is right now. So I'm giving all these like data points that was helping him determine if he did want to buy it at that moment or if he wanted to wait a little bit. And then he would have to go into his exchange to buy the currency, to buy it and then come back to a form that I have here where a mini extensions form, right? That he would click and he'd enter the data as to what he purchased. Then I had the realization like, what about if I could actually place the trades directly on the exchange for him versus him having to place it and then come back? What if, 
in the middle of the night, he was waking up at two in the morning, excited to see like, hey, you got to sell this for a 10% profit. And he'd be like, I, I, I get all the notifications for all my users. So I would see him actually like doing this at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning. I'd also be excited. This was like when the cryptos were all going up too. Now it's not the case. Um, and so then I started uh, talking to a developer, um, really close friend of mine. And we ended up connecting Airtable to Kraken, which is one of the major exchanges. And that opened up so much potential and opportunity, um, which has led to profit grab. So I'll kind of like give you a brief overview. So we have these 25 cryptocurrencies. They're updating the prices every 30 seconds. So you'll see like the last update over here. Um, that's its own, you know, all of these are like mini stories, right? I first used, how do you get the pricing data to be as close to live as possible? I found Pipedream. Pipedream is really good because you can connect to any API. And I was able to connect to a good source like for pricing. But Pipedream, if I was doing it every, so there you go, seeing it, it's updating. Pipedream would charge me, came out to like $120 for every two minute refresh times. And if you think about it, if you go from two minutes to one minute, that's double the amount of searches. So it would go from $100 to $200. And if I went from there to 30 seconds, now it becomes $400 it's in those multiples. Um, but we were able to uh, build our own kind of like server that was pinging Kraken. Eventually, that's the optimal solution now, just if, in case anybody's interested. That's pinging Kraken, who has a publicly exposed um, price API and just pushing it to Airtable every 30 seconds. So it's not using any Airtable automations. It's not using any third-party sources. It's probably costing, I don't know, $5 per month in terms of uh, how much data it's processing it's using. So it's bringing over the prices every 30 seconds. And then users have this interface. So this is built on Stacker. Um, I love Stacker. It's probably my preferred um, go-to for a nice third-party um, login functionality and people can you know update their information some basic stuff they can go then to their coins so in this case you probably add a new coin so i want to now create a position for uh say bitcoin something that everybody understands you then go and you set your risk settings so i want to purchase every like i only want to purchase 15 positions total that's pretty conservative right or I only want to purchase five. That's really aggressive because you can only buy five times if it goes down. So let's keep it at conservative 15. How much budget? The budget's going to be $10,000. And then there's advanced settings. So the advanced settings is by default, I set it at 5%, 5%. So if you think about it, you get into your first position. If it goes down 5%, it buys another position. Remember, you have up to 15 positions because that was what you selected. Then if it goes down another 5%, it gets into your next position. Then imagine from there it goes up 5%. Okay, now you got out of your lowest position. It's sold and it captured that close profits. Then it goes up again another 5%. It's sold and got out of that. So I call this capturing the, the um, oh, forgetting the word, um, entropy of the market, the random fluctuations. You're... All day, all night, you're, you, the bot is capturing all of these waves that are happening. It's getting in and getting out. And even for very small, immediate jumps that happen on news, boom, it sells, 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 and then buys, buys, buys. Or the opposite, fake bad news. It buys, 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 and then sells, sells, sells as the, normal, as the market normalizes. Um, but you set your buy side percentage if you want to override that 5%. So I can say I want to buy only when it goes down 15%. 
and I want to make it automatic or manual. So I can either get text messages that say, do you want to buy this based on your parameters you should buy right now? Or you set it to automatically buy by clicking this checkbox and I'm just going to automatically place the trades for you. Um, and then the sell side can be different. So the sell side, I want to sell when it's up 10% or I want to sell only when it's a home run and then it's up 25% hypothetically. These things are happening with crypto. And, you know, even with massive drops, if you put your settings correctly, you're going to be capturing waves, even with the, the massive drops that we've been seeing recently. Um, and then you can also make it to auto sell or to a manual sell. I want to step further. I'm not sure if anybody understands the finance side, but a trailing stop loss is something that crypto exchanges don't do. So I had to build my own trailing stop loss in Airtable, which is why sell when the, if, if you put your settings to 25%, say it goes to 25%, why sell when it hits 25%? Why not now just start a ticker that says if your trailing stop loss was say 2%, you're letting it breathe. So you're letting it go up and only when it pulls down 2% now. So once it hits 25%, it's entered this kind of like tracking thing. Only when it pulls back 2% does it actually do the sell. And the same thing on the reverse. When it's buying, why buy when it's 10%? Why not wait? Because it might keep going. It might go to 18% and then only pull back a little bit then. And that's when you buy. So it's like a financial tool to not just buy at 10%. You let it breathe. And it can go all the way down to 20 and then pulls back to 18%. And that's when it buys. So that's called a trailing stop loss. So I implemented that in here also. Um, and this is like where you save the coin. I'm not going to say this because this is a live system at this point. Um, but you can then go into any of your coins. So like, for instance, let's go into Aave, which is a very uh, interesting coin. You can see Stacker allows me to embed stuff into Stacker. So I've embedded the charts for each of these coins. So it's easy for you to, you know, see things and, do some analysis in here, which is really nice. Um, I can update this coin setting so I can say, you know, I want to change the budget to 12,000 and I want to change the, the settings basically. I want to make it not automatically buy anymore. I only want to be notified just by turning off this checkbox. And that's all, like, as I said, that's all being uh, pushed over to Airtable. Um, that's tracking all of this data. Um, this is just the front end in Stacker. So as you can see for this, this person has all of these active positions. They have all of these closed positions. It tells you the annualized return for each of these closed positions. Um, but it's a full-fledged system now. It's It has $1.4 million uh, invested. It has $284,000 in closed profits to this point. Um, I went a step further, though, and I said, does the system actually make sense? Like, can I build a back tester where... If I said Bitcoin between March and August, if I would have done, say, 10 positions, 5% down, 10% up, and a 1% trailing stop loss, how would that have performed versus just buying Bitcoin outright? And I hired a Python developer um, to use basically the same system that, I, that I've, I've already done, like the algorithm that I've set up. And he was able to build this back tester that outputs if you can think about it, that's 90 to 100,000 lines of pricing data every single minute for the for like nine month period. And it goes through this data set and it calculates what the total return would have been. So this is the output of the chart of the closed profit and loss of the open PL and of the total return in terms of percentage. 
And in this example, you'll see like this is where Bitcoin over a period of time was, you know, went down, went up. If you had bought on this day and right now we're at this day, your overall return would be 9%, whereas in profit grab, it would have been 48%. Because if you think about it, it would have been buying, buying, right? Selling up here, buying as it goes down, selling, 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 buying, buying, buying. It would reach a point, you'll see this becomes flat because you run out of budget, right? You only had 10 positions. You bought those 10 positions. Now it's below that area. You're not making any money at this point. So it becomes flat, but then it comes back up. And you start selling out of all those positions and you have this, you know, buy, buy, buy again, sell, sell, sell. It's a really interesting strategy because you'll see that this curve right here is pretty predictable. And I've done this test, you know, we're now involving machine learning. And if I run up 20 Amazon uh, AWS um, processors and I said between this day and this day, this coin, go and do as many configurations as you want and tell me what would have been the most optimal uh, variable uh, strategy. So, but what we're finding is that this return is pretty predictable as long as you're in budget. If you're out of budget, it becomes flat, obviously. Um, so it's been a really interesting system to set up. I have a finance background. My first job was in Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor. So I've, I love this, but I don't like my success being dependent on the markets and how random they are. So that's why I love Airtable is because it's not, you're building systems that work for the people you're building it for. And this was a really good example of building a system in Airtable that is basically an algorithm, an algorithm trading bot um, with Airtable as a back end, Airtable as a logic layer, uh, Stacker as the interface layer, set and forget. Um, and it's been an amazing, amazing ride. Um, to this point. So that's Profigram. I understood everything. I'm sure Ali and Camille did as well. <laughs> but that was awesome. Very cool stuff. Amazing what uh, can be done in Airtable. Um, and you've got real customers running a real business. That's that's so cool to have that. Do you foresee Airtable being the solution long-term or will it require? No. So I've done the calculations and I could probably only fit about 50 users in Airtable. I'm at right, right now about 25 users. So I'm being very selective, right? I have minimums as to how, um, how large of an account you need to be able to be in the system because it's not worth it for someone with $5,000 to take up one of those slots. Mm -hmm. um, then you start getting into, you know, can I archive past data? But I don't really want to get into that. So eventually we will be building it in raw code. Um, but it's an amazing jumping point because I can export, you know, as you guys said, I think it's sync.io. I always say sync.io, but I get it wrong. But you can export your schema to a SQL base um, and give it on a silver platter to developers and say, here it is. Here are all the automations. Here's the schema of the system. Like all you have to do is copy it and you're cutting your development time like to a fraction of what it would have been just trying to tell a developer what they need to build. Um, so we, we probably will get to that point. Um, yeah, where we need to, to jump off of Airtable. Awesome. Thank you, Charlie, for sharing that. And people can find you at uh, profitgrab.com if they're interested and have deep pockets that want to put in crypto. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that and, and I also, uh, besides crypto, every morning I, I work with a, a small team of mine. So it's, I call them a team, but we're really, they're just like enthusiasts to Airtable and shout out to them. Um, 
it's really fun because they see me building and we talk about things that we're, we're building at that moment and they're becoming really good and I'm able to give them tasks on projects that I'm working on. Um, so if anybody's interested in that too, I, I do that every morning around 8 a.m. Um, it also keeps me in check. I do all of my work like in one hour, which is so great because then I have the rest of the day to just have client meetings and relax. So yeah. how can they, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, it's a great question. Probably my email. Um, I don't know if, where I can write my email. Um, could put it in the, uh, in the Slack group. That might be. <clears throat> yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll put it in the Slack group, but that's yeah. the best way. Cool. Thank you, Charlie. And we appreciate you having on. We'll check in with you down the road and see where things are at with everything. Thank you. Sure you'll have other amazing stuff to share with us. So we'll just end, um, Camille's going to share with us next week on, on the segment she's got. Um, so we'll look forward to that. And just a quick plug for Built on Air. Join us in the Built on Air community at builtonair.com. And you'll find Charlie and Ali and Camille and myself and thousands of other Airtable fans. And we'd love to have you join us. So thank you for this week for being with us. And we'd love to see what you build on air and join us next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com, and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast.